0: For an archive of other sermons and course content, please visit fpcgulfport.org. Throughout the Old Testament, God made a series of incredible promises, promises that defied His people's expectations, and in His time, He fulfilled every last one of them. In today's study of 1 Kings 8, we'll consider the God who always keeps His promises, including those. That he's made to you and I. You know, one of the very lowest or worst times for God's people occurred back in the book of Numbers. It was in the wilderness. God's people were in the wilderness. Now, why were they in the wilderness? Well, they were in the wilderness because that's where they chose to be. You see, if you remember the story, God had told them, I have made you, I have created, I've set aside for you a promised land, it's yours go for it. And so they sent in spies to check it out, to see what it was like, to see if they indeed could take it. However, when the spies reported back, the majority of the spies said, no way. They said, the land is great. No problems there. The land is great. The problem is there are giants there. The problem is we're just a bunch of people in the wilderness. They've got cities like Jericho with walls that are high. They've got armaments. They've got soldiers who stand one and a half times above us. God may have told us to go there, but we can't because we'll die. And so they spent their time in the wilderness. And in fact, a whole generation died out of that level of distrust or lack of confidence in what God had told them to do. So they had wandering in the wilderness, and that's what made the book of Numbers so sad. They're in a place no one wants to go, doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and they do it for a whole generation. And they did it based on fear. They did it on the basis of that we just can't do what God has told us to do. We know God is strong. I mean, of course He's strong. Look what He did to Pharaoh. He brought all those plagues, ten of them, and yet, and yet, He won't do that for us. I mean, He did it back then, but, you know, that was then. This is now. They had enough faith to remember Moses. They had enough corporate honesty to know what happened in their recent past, and yet they didn't have enough faith to think that what God did in the past had any bearing on what he would do in the future. God says, go into the land. They say, no, we'll die. Despite the fact that one generation earlier, God had literally swamped the armies of Pharaoh under the Red Sea, that God had brought down all these plagues. If you're God, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I think I've made a pretty good case for myself and my willingness to protect you. What are you doing? But the people were, were fearful. They're anxious. God had made them a promise. They just doubted his ability to come through on it. Is that where you're at in matters of faith? A whole generation of Israelites, that's where they were at. They had enough faith to believe God was there. Do you believe God's there? I hope so. The problem was not that they didn't believe he was there. And their problem was not that they didn't believe he'd done some really cool things a long time ago. Their problem was they didn't think they would come through for them in this particular instance, no matter what he had said. They knew he'd promised. They just doubted the reliability of that promise. And for some of us, that's our concern. We don't doubt God exists. We know he's there. Sometimes we doubt whether he loves us enough to count us in that promise, and other times we just doubt whether he's actually going to do the very things that he said that he was going to do. Well, in today's text, we're seeing Solomon is stopping the presses. He's taking the people by the lapel. He's shaking them and saying, dear heavens, do you see what God has done? Not a word failed of what he said. Not a word, not a syllable has failed of what he said he would do. And he made some of the most amazing promises you could possibly make to people who were in no position to believe that they'd ever be received. He told Abram, old Abram and old Sarah, that they'd have not just a kid, but a progeny more numerous than the stars in the sky. It was a promise that seemed unbelievable to fulfill. And he fulfilled it to a T. He's done everything that he would say he would do. And the reason that was important for them and the reason that's important to us is because he's made you a promise too. He's made you a promise about your future. And the question is, can he come through? Will he come through? In today's text, Psalm wanted to encourage his people, and God wants to encourage us that the answer is yes. Let's look at the first couple of verses. We'll start with verse 54, then we'll just work our way through the balance. Verse 54. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he rose up from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. All right, let's stop there. In the verses immediately preceding today's passage, the temple was done. It had taken a while, but the temple is now done. And King Solomon, if you read earlier in chapter 8, he had prayed a lengthy prayer. That's okay. He had a lot to say. So he prays this lengthy prayer, and during this prayer, he'd recounted God's faithfulness. Sometimes that's okay, too. We pray to God, and we thank God, and we remind God of what he already knows, the things that he's done. And by virtue of us reminding him of what he already knows, we remind ourselves of what we need to hold on to going forward. So he prayed this lengthy prayer, and then he rises up and stands. But as he stands, he swivels, and he looks out at a bunch of folks whose faith was probably like a sine curve. Ups and downs, from person to person, maybe from day to day, maybe from hour to hour. Solomon was looking at those who had doubts and anxieties, not that different from those that many of us had. He was also looking at some folks that he knew to be hard-headed. You, know, you ever read Moses' experiences in Deuteronomy, ministering to God's people? Just hard-headed people. David had had the same experience. Solomon, already as a young king, he had seen the same thing. The people who were hard-headed they not only tended to reject a lot of things that the prophets and the leaders said, but they also tended to reject what God had said. But God had still been faithful. That was part of his prayer. Thank you, God. You've been so faithful. We've been such, such goofs. We've done all the things we shouldn't do. We've really messed up, but you've never let us down. you fulfilled everything to a T. Meanwhile, we're just staggering around the wilderness. Even as they'd come into the promised land, they'd still their faith was like a sign curve. And Solomon prays, says, God, thank you that you don't operate the way that we do. Thank you that your promises are reliable. So in verse 54, he wraps up this prayer. And now again, as he swiveled to talk to the people, he wants to both encourage them and to challenge them. Let's see what he says to them in verses 55 and 56. Verse 55, then he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. If someone were to make you a promise, what's the first thing your brain does? Someone makes you a promise, what's the first thing you do? Well, here's the first thing I do you think through and you say, well, What other promises have you made in the past? Because I think I'm gonna adjudicate your ability and willingness to come through on this particular issue on the basis of whether you came through on other issues. If someone makes you a promise, you immediately, you can't help it, you think of the track record. You think, is this a reliable source of information, promises, and the like. We consider a new promise in light of what has been done with the old ones. Well, in verses 55 and 56, Solomon says, look, there are still better promises yet ahead. If you think that this promised land is cool... Just wait until you see what is yet to come. There's better promises of a better land. There's a better Moses coming down the road. There's all sorts of stuff in the future that we have to hold on to by faith. And in order to believe those promises of that outcome, you need to look back and ask, did God come through in what He already said He would do? And in verses 55 and 56, He says yes. He says, look, God said some amazing stuff in the past, and He delivered He delivered on things that seemed impossible for him to fulfill. And so with a loud voice in verse 55, he basically tells the people, he says, you are the most fortunate of all people because your God, unlike the gods of the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Moabites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and every other ite, he says, unlike them, your God has an unbroken track record. Unlike the pagan prophecies and pagan gods of stone and marble and wood, that have failed consistently, habitually, that have let down the very people who have bent the knee to them, unlike those people, you have a God who came through on every last thing he told you he would. Blessed be you, and blessed be the name of the Lord. And he wanted them to remember some of the things that God had done. In fact, that's healthy. That's why we read the book. That's why we study the Old Testament and the New. As we understand, we remember what God has done and how that applies to us. We think about the things He did and how amazing they were. And if He did those amazing things, maybe yet there'll be a resurrection from the dead. Maybe yet we'll all go to heaven. Maybe yet all the things for the future will be fulfilled if He's done all these things in the past. You know, as we said, some of the things that God promised defied expectations and the belief of everyone who heard them at the outset. I already mentioned Abraham and Sarah you take the old couple, tell them that they're going to have a child, and they've been barren all these years, and where time has passed, Sarah's reaction out was just to laugh. It seemed utterly implausible. God made them a promise that seemed utterly implausible, and yet he, he came through. Solomon looked out, and he saw all the descendants. He saw the fulfillment of this one promise. Think even further back. Think of Noah. God promised... To this one guy, this one paragon of virtue and just a sea of apostasy and unrighteousness, he says, it's going to rain, but you're going to make it because you're going to build a boat. However, it's not going to be just any boat. You're going to build a boat big enough to fit all the creatures within the created realm within it. Now, dear heavens, if there is a promise that just defies expectation and belief that it could ever be fulfilled, this is it. Of course, Noah trusted God and went about building a boat and in God's time. It was filled with animals. In God's time, the rain came. God made a promise that defied expectation, and then he fulfilled it. Just after the time of when they entered the promised land, they came up to the city, that God's people, you know, they cross the Jordan and they come in. All right, so woohoo, we're in the promised land. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's that big city with a big wall just right over there? Oh, my stars. We made it across the Jordan. We're in the promised land, but now surely we're going to die. God says, no, I promised you got this. You got this. I got this. I'll take you through this. And they're like, well, how? We don't have any weaponry. We barely made it across the Jordan. We've been in the wilderness. We don't look at that wall. And God says, hey, and rolls up his sleeves, his proverbial sleeve, so to speak, and says, tell you what, just march around the city playing the instruments and the like. Do that seven times, the wall's going to come down. Who would believe that? Well, they did, and God responded. God made a promise, and God delivered. Back in Deuteronomy 12, God had said this. He says, when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies all around so that you dwell in safely then there will be the place where the Lord God your God chooses to make his name abide. In Deuteronomy 12, written during the time of Moses, long time before Solomon, God says, this is going to be a future. You're going to have a place, and there is going to be a temple, and in that temple, my name will abide. Well, again, Solomon's looking out at people who had anxieties about what would God do in the future, and he says, please, look what he did in the past. Please, if you have anxiety about what the future holds, if you have trouble believing aspects of what the future, the promised future to the church as a whole or to you as an individual, please look at what he did in the past and see how he came through and understand nothing's impossible. In fact, God honestly 100% delights in doing things you don't expect in ways that you wouldn't expect. That's just the way he operates. So he says here, just hear the promises, evaluate the promises against promises of old, and understand that there is a track record that you can turn to whenever doubts strike, whenever these concerns come to mind. So in verses 55 and 56, this is what he's saying. And he goes even further than that. He says, not only has God fulfilled all his promises, but not a word of them has failed. It's not like he did everything in the abstract, that yeah, he delivered you know, largely what he said he was going to do. You're at a contractor... You have a contractor is going to build a house or you know, put up a shed or doing a number of different things, and they go out, they start to work on the thing and so forth. And then when you're done, you look and you say, well, he did largely what he said he was going to do. I mean, I don't love everything. It's not all perfect, but he largely honored what he said. That's the way most contracts with most individuals and everything work. Largely, they're fulfilled. Solomon says the contract, the covenant, the promises that God has made, it's not just that he fulfilled them largely, he fulfilled them to the letter. Not a word had failed of all the impossible things that God told his people to expect. Unbroken track record. Let's look at verses 57 through 60. Verse 57. And so, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May the Lord God, who did all that stuff long time ago to people, that generations earlier, may he do to us as he has done with them. May He not leave us nor forsake us, that He may incline our hearts to Himself, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and statutes and judgments that He commanded to our fathers. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that He may maintain the cause of His servant and the cause of His people Israel, as each day may require. God is the God of every day of your life, not just God of this whole thing or God of when you're finally saved and on the other side. He's God now. Whatever you're doing today, this week, he is the God of this day. Verse 60, that all the peoples of the earth may know that there is a Lord, that the Lord is God, and there is no other. All right, let me ask you a different question. I asked one earlier. Let me ask you something different. Have you ever had someone that you've loved or trusted leave you? Have you ever had someone that you've loved or trusted leave you, volitionally? Have you ever had someone that you've loved or trusted walk away from you or reject you? Neglect you, although you needed them. There's few heartaches. For those who can relate to that, there's few heartaches as great as being left by those that we love. It can be just heartrending to have someone's presence in your life there for a season, and then in a different season in your life when you desperately need them, they're not there. If you've experienced that, You may find that even months or years later that the hole hasn't gone away. It still hurts. With that said, notice what Solomon said in verses 57 through 60. He said, may the Lord our God be with us as with our fathers. May he not leave us or ever forsake us. You know, the gods of the pagans disappeared at times. They went off and did their own thing, which is why Elijah mocked Baal and and the others. Perhaps your God is sleepy, we need to wake him up, is what he told on Mount Carmel, what he told the prophets of Baal. The pagans had gods that could go away for a season. The Greeks, same deal. They had gods that would be busy up on Mount Olympus. Maybe they'd care for you one day, maybe they wouldn't. But here, Solomon tells his people, and God tells us that he's with us, just as he was with our fathers, just as he was with Moses. Whether you're here and your name is Bob or Stu or Frank or Fran, God's with you. God's with you every bit as much as he was with Moses. That's an encouraging thought because we don't feel like Moses most of the time. But his presence is with us. His presence is with our church. And so Solomon says, you know, if we understand that and we cleave to him, our future is bright. It's so bright because the right man is on our side, the man King Jesus. The right man is on our side. You know, even if the whole world should turn against you, which given enough time it might, even if the whole world should turn against you, God won't. Even if every other promise is broken, if, even if every loyal friend breaks ranks with you in the time to come, God won't. And when you're hurting in that midnight hour, when you feel all alone, He says, I'm with you, and we got this together. I'm with you, and we got this. All right, let's look at our last verse, verse 61. Our last verse. So now he's encouraging the people about how to respond to these promises and God's presence and the like. Verse 61, he tells the people, and you can imagine his hands out, he says it. He says, let your heart, therefore, be loyal to Lord our God. Let your heart, therefore, be loyal to Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as it is this day. This is a benediction of sorts. It's a blessing. It's also an exhortation. And in this exhortation, King Solomon tells people what he told them previously. He says, if we believe all this to be true, if we believe there is a God in heaven, if we believe that he loves us, if we believe he's told us how to live, then the evidence of that belief is not simply what we profess with our mouth. The Israelites professed things all the time. That wasn't their problem. It's what they did with it, how they acted, how they responded. Remember, we've talked about the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is the easy part. Orthodoxy is just accepting propositional theological truth and saying, amen, amen. What's harder is going out those doors and acting accordingly. So Solomon, he puts his hands out and says, hey, 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 Be careful to be loyal to our God and to keep his statutes, his laws, and his judgments. Let me ask you, do you remember, do you remember what your first car was? I got in trouble. I talked about cars recently. What was it? Pinto? Was that what it was? Something like that. I got in trouble. I called out a car and someone said, that was my car. So I'm not going to do that. I'll call out my first car. My first car was a, a brown Mazda B2000 pickup. Man alive, they were a lot smaller than they're making pickups these days. Pickups these days are something else. You know, I had this little thing going down the road. And like, So I had this Mazda B2000 pickup. Now, I did love the car. It was my first car. So, of course, I loved it and I waxed it and polished it and, and shined it and the like at first. <laughs> then I went to college and still had the car and I had other priorities. or other things that interested me, other pursuits for my time. And suddenly, it wasn't even just a lack of washing the car. Other things like, I don't know, oil changes, just things that you just should do, you know, the common sense stuff. I was like, nah, I, this scar hasn't let me down before, right? I mean, I didn't give it an oil change last month, so it probably doesn't need it this month. Well, kick that forward a while. What happens? I'll tell you what happens. It ends up with me on I-5, north of Eugene, Oregon, on the side of the road, having, I would say, flipped a rod. I'm, those of you who know cars better than I don't know what happened, bruised a rod, broke a rod, whatever. There was a rod involved, and it stopped working. And so the car stopped working, and it never drove again. That was it. I kissed it goodbye, it went on a tow truck, and it was, and it was gone. We tend to prioritize the things that are important to us. It's easy to ascend to propositional truth when it's right in front of us. The people there at that time, with the new temple and the hurrahs and you know, the celebrations and the dinner on the grounds they were having back in this day, the people were excited. It wasn't hard to get them excited. It wasn't hard for them to get amen and all that. The hard part was in nurturing and caring for that which God had entrusted to them down the road and for prioritizing the same things through their actions that they prioritize with their lips right here. And the sad thing was that they wouldn't. When I say that this is the high point of Israel's history up to this point, I mean it. What does that imply? It implies that things got worse, which they did. God made a promise I got you, I got you and your future. And they had made promises too. The difference is they didn't keep theirs. And so they backslid in the most egregious of ways to the point, to the sad point, as we studied in our review of Ezekiel last year, whenever it was, to the sad point that the same God who came to dwell in this temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 would leave it in Ezekiel 10. He would depart the temple, leave it as Ichabod, empty of his glory. There's things that have been entrusted to you, matters of faith. If you're a parent, if you're a father, there's things that have been entrusted to you to look out after your loved ones, to nurture their faith, to take care of their faith, to take care of your own faith so that it doesn't get broken down on the side of the road when life's circumstances throw you a curveball, which is inevitable. There's bins in the road you can't see coming. The way that we grow and sustain our faith is by immersing ourselves in a faith, and by doing what God has said. All right, before we wrap up or in closing here, I want you to notice at the very end of verse 61, he says something interesting. And at first, when I looked at this text a few years ago, I missed it, but I don't want to miss it today. Verse 61, he said, let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God to walk in His statutes and keep his commandments. And then he adds these four words, as at this day, Solomon knew the people's history. He wanted them to have that particular day emblazoned on their mind to do that which they had promised to do that day in the time yet to come. And yet, as we said just a moment ago, they wouldn't. Roughly 400 years later, after this text, that day would be a distant memory, and they would have forgotten it. 400 years later, there would be no more cheering. There would only be what we call lamentation. There would only be disaster. Roughly 400 years later, as we said before, God's glory would depart and the Babylonians would show up. That's a bad trade. They gave up the glory of God, they received the Babylonians. Ezekiel 10 says this, the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim and the cherubim mounted up from the earth in his sight. Same temple. Look, can that happen to a church, to a denomination, a nation? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes. It can happen if we don't keep the first things first. It can happen if we don't prioritize that which we're called to prioritize. It can happen if we stop trusting God and start trusting ourselves. It can happen if we ignore what God has said in His Word and start coming up with our own precepts and following the wills and wants of our own hearts. In this passage that we read today, Solomon, God through Solomon, is reminding the people that, hey, there's some intentionality. I've made you a promise, and yet, and yet... There is a degree of intentionality on your part that your future is going to be heavily predicated upon. What will it be? What will it be? Are you going to be zealous to do the very things that you promised me in 1 Kings 8, that you promised you, say you're going to do, you say amen, amen. Are you going to do that? You won't if you're not intentional about it. And in time, in time, the temple might be empty. And in time, churches or denominations can follow suit. And if you don't think that's possible, Go to Europe, go to New England. Just see places that once, not that long ago, that once resonated with at least a cultural religiosity and all likelihood of something far stronger now be turned to just empty husks of what they once were. If it could happen in Israel, if it could happen in Europe, if it could happen in New England, it could happen in the Bible Belt. Our responsibility is to cling to that which God has delivered us once for all through the saints and to champion it no matter what the world tells us, no matter what's going on in the culture around us. Let the culture go to the wind. This is what we're called to adhere to. And Solomon put it before the people in an Old Testament context. said, do this and live. The same is true for us. Let's pray. Join Dr. Toby Holt and Dr. Dominic Aquila for a tour of Israel in February of 2024. For more information, visit fpcgulfport.org.